Hi guys, uh, Pastor Greg Corcoran here from Battlefield Baptist Church. Uh, pray that this sermon is a blessing, an encouragement, and a challenge to you in your walk with the Lord. Additionally, I just wanted to say that if we here at Battlefield can ever be a blessing to you, please don't hesitate to contact us. And the best way to do that is through our website at battlefieldbaptist.org. Again, I pray this sermon blesses you, encourages you, and uh, that you'll fall more in love with God, more in love with His Word, and more in love with people. Well, it is good to see you again. Uh, John chapter 8 this morning. John chapter 8 in the precious Word of God. And uh, what a wonderful opportunity we have to look and see what uh, God's Word has to say. Amen? Even the little ones agree. They Believe me, they agree. <laughs> Look at John chapter 8 and uh, verse number 48. Verse number 48 and following in the precious word of God. Notice what the Bible has to say to us this morning. The Bible says, Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil. And Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and you do dishonor me. And I seek not my own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. What a bold statement. Then said the Jews unto him, now we know. He said, now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who makest thou thyself? And Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say, I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the songs of praise. I pray now that you'll go before me, that you'll use me, that you'll fill me, that you'll speak through me. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight because you are my strength, you are my redeemer. And so, Lord, I place my trust in thee and in thee alone. Lord, I pray that you'll draw us unto yourself. God, that we might find forgiveness of sin where it's needed. Lord, that you might uh, draw us closer to thee as we walk and as we live our lives as your representatives on this earth, that you would be pleased with all the things that we think, say, and do. And we'll be careful to give you the praise for it. 
For it's in the precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray, and for his sake, amen and amen. Well, it is good to have you again this morning in the Lord's house, and uh, if you were here right as we got started, Trevor in the choir sang uh, that wonderful song about our Lord saying, you are, I am. In other words, you are the I am. And uh, we sang as a congregation about who God says we are. And uh, we concluded just a moment ago by singing uh, praise unto the name of the Lord our God. And really, I couldn't have written a better script, even if I tried, to point us to the direction in which we are going. And what's interesting is I had no part in planning these songs. But last week, as we were preparing, as we finished our, our series in Psalm 23, I wanted just one singular message by itself. And and um, as we were singing in choir, Trevor was singing his song, and by the way, I'm thankful for that. Uh, the Lord just laid this on my heart, that we would talk about Him, because He is the great I Am. And uh, notice here in John 58, again, Jesus declares, they weren't really happy, the Jews, He's told them there, He's told them that uh, if they would keep His saying, they would never see death, and that ruffled their feathers. And so they ask him, you know, who is he compared to Abraham and all the prophets? And then he talks about Abraham had seen it and, and all these great things. And they say, you're not even 50 years old. And you say all this. But then he gets to verse 58 and he declares this incredible truth for each and every one of us. He says, before Abraham was, he says, I am. Now here's the thing, if Jesus simply wanted to predate Abraham, if, if his goal was just to say, hey, I came before Abraham, he would have said, before Abraham was, I was. But that's not what he said. He said, before Abraham was, I am. And immediately, he sets the religious people on edge. Immediately, they want to kill him. Why did they want to kill him? Because Jesus was saying something very significant when he said, before Abraham was, I am. He was saying, guess what? Just like God spoke to Moses way back in the bush, that's the same me. That's the same one. That's who I am. And it got him mad. And they ruffled Ruffled their feathers. They picked up stones. Look at verse 59. They took up stones to cast him, but Jesus, I love this. Jesus says, not today. Not today. You're not stoning me today. The Bible says he hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. Oh, listen. They understood and knew in a sense that Jesus was bypassing Abraham and was jumping ahead forward in time to that point when God had spoken to Moses out of the burning bush and they picked up stones to kill him because they knew that Jesus in that moment was identifying, identifying himself as the same God who defined himself in Exodus chapter 3. With that said, turn to Exodus chapter 3 because I want you to three, three little verses in Exodus chapter 3. When you get there, I know you're not there yet, but when you get there, say amen. amen. Well, a few of you beat me, all right. <laughs> so we're going to have a little sidebar here for just a second, Exodus chapter 3. You may recall when you turn there, this is the passage. God is speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. Let me ask you, if, if you went outside today and a bush got lit on fire and God started speaking to you out of a burning bush, would you be a little scared or a little frightened? This is what happens. God's speaking to Moses out of a burning bush. And as you can imagine, uh, uh, he had a few questions. Would you have had questions? 
I think we all would have had questions. And he starts with a big one. Look in verse number 13. In verse number 13, notice what takes place. Moses says unto God, he says, Behold, he says, I hear what you're saying, God. I hear that you want me to go to Egypt. He says, But behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and I say unto them, uh, and I say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, they shall say unto me, What is his name? They're going to ask me what your name is. Listen, up to this point, God has not revealed his name. He's spoken to Abraham. He's spoken to others down through the quarters of time, right? He told Moses or Noah to build the ark. He's spoken to others, but he has not up to this point identified himself. And he says, what shall I say unto them? But keep reading because in verse 14 and 15, God says to Moses, notice he says, I am that I am. Isn't that good? He says, here's my name. I am that I am. Anybody confused? I guess Moses was too. He says, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt, say, that shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. And God said, Moreover unto Moses, notice he says, Thou shalt say unto the children of Israel, The Lord, notice it's in all caps in the Old Testament. Most English translations will have this in all caps here. I'll explain it here in just a second. The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. So without going too deep, it's important for you and I to note that in this passage, when God says, I am that I am, notice there in verse 14, he's actually giving you and I a description of Yahweh. 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 Some of you, might, it's like a breath. Yahweh. He's giving them a description of this name, and it's literally based on four Hebrew consonant letters, Y-H-W-H. And you may see that. I don't know. Do we have that slide? Okay. And it's pronounced, it's pronounced yud heh vav yud heh vav is literally what it's pronounced as, as best as I can, in my southern Virginia accent. Okay. It's known as the holy tetragrammaton. You say, what? Can, can you say that ten times? Tetragrammaton, tetragrammaton. That's what it's known as. And it's impossible it's impossible to pronounce these consonants together. It's impossible in the Hebrew language to do. And so God says, he says, I am that I am. Speaking of Yahweh, he says, but it's impossible to pronounce. If you're confused, say I am confused. Only a few of you are confused. That's God. So here's the deal. In ancient Hebrew, this wouldn't have been a problem. Because you see, Hebrew writers and scholars would not have inserted vowels. So you have these consonants. So it wouldn't have been a problem for them. Now, many of us are familiar with the term uh, we would say in our English vernacular, Jehovah. Some of us are ter uh, familiar with that. It's more uh, properly Yehovah or Yehovah. Yehovah is actually more pronounced. It seems to have originated from the Latin equivalents of these four Hebrew letters and has actually become the English translation of that Latin expression of the Hebrew Y-H-W-H. Now, because Jewish people, though, it was, it was known that they didn't want to utter the name of God. They didn't, scribes didn't even want to write the name of God. And so vowels, they took vowels from a word that you might have heard before. The vowels came from the word Adonai. 
Adonai. The word Adonai means Lord or Master. And so they took these words, these vowels from Adonai, and they inserted them into the YHWH, and hence we have Yahweh or Yehovah, if you take the Latin equivalent, right? And so uh, the reality is, uh, to be honest with you, there's so much more. In fact, when you start a study on this, you might as well get, uh, in fact, a shovel won't do. A shovel really won't do, especially if you're from Virginia or, uh, uh, and you have a southern accent uh, and you're not a Hebrew of Hebrew scholars, you better get a bulldozer. Right, because you can get really, really deep. But I want to suffice it to say these things. Look at verse 14 and 15 because a couple of things stand out and they actually provide us with some great understanding for this name Yahweh. First of all, the name Yahweh, which is the covenant name for God and the name I am in verse 14, they're built, they're built upon the same Hebrew word. And that word is Hayah, Hayah. And it means, watch this, to exist. Or be. So when God says, I am, he says, I exist. I am who I am. I am that I am. I exist. I, I, I don't need anybody else. It speaks of my self-existence, my self-sufficiency. And I depend, what God is saying is I depend on no one. Secondly, the name Yahweh seems to be used interchangeably. Look at verse 14. It says, I am, Hayah has sent me. And then verse 15, it says, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, has sent me, same Hebrew word, Hayah, speaking of Yahweh, but translated in this point as Yehovah. And so some of your Bibles may have out to the side Jehovah in English or Yehovah or Yehovah. So when God says to Moses, let's get back on track, when God says to Moses, in this portion of scripture, I am that I am. He's expressing the truth that nothing or no one defines him except for himself. You picking that up? Nothing or no one defines him except for himself. So let me just bring it down to where the rubber meets the roads. You don't describe or define who God is. I don't define or describe who God is. He does it all by himself. He doesn't need our help. He exists, he is who he is, and he's going to do what he does, in other words, right? And so in verse 15, it says, the Lord has sent me. And so God says, I am that I am. He's expressing this truth. And then when you think about what we read in John chapter 8, Jesus, when he proclaims the same exact thing, when you look at the Septuagint and you see what Jesus says in the Greek and you bring it back to what God is saying here in Exodus chapter 3, he's saying the exact same thing, except for he's saying something much more wonderful. He's saying something much more wonderful. Notice Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Now think about that. By using that personal pronoun, when he says I, he's saying something very significant to us. Listen, he's saying that he wants to relate to you and I on a very personal level. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. Someone say amen. amen. Are you thankful that you can have a personal relationship with Jesus? Amen. That's what he's saying. He says, I, 
I'm a very personal God and I want to have a personal relationship with you. But he not only says I'm a personal God, he says I'm a present God because he says I am, not I was, not I will be, not I shall be. He says I am, so I have existed from everlasting to everlasting, so I am personal and yet I want to be very present in your life today. Somebody in this room needs the present and personal God in their life today. Do we need him? I'd say we all do. But you know, sometimes we all struggle with this thinking. The reason we struggle with the idea that Jesus says, I am, or this thinking that he's not only personal, but he's a very present God, is because we live in the linear. We live in the past. I was born in 1960. I had a birthday here. I was born here, right? And so we live according to this little itty-bitty timeline that you and I have. And so we forget to realize that God doesn't live in yesterday and he doesn't live in tomorrow. He lives in today all the time. Guess what? Tomorrow is still today with him. Right? See, that's why that song years ago, forget about tomorrow, forget about tomorrow, forget about tomorrow, for tomorrow never comes. God lives in the present. Oh, listen, our God who describes him as the I am is the personal and present God that we need today. Remember, here in Exodus, before I move on, here in Exodus 3, in verse number 14, by God saying, I am, he's telling Moses, I am that I am. In other words, I declare, I declare myself who I declare myself to be. I declare who I declare myself to be. You don't declare it. Nobody else declares it. So because our God is who he is, because he defines himself, because everything with our God is present, and because our God lives eternally, and because with our God everything is here and now, he lives in a state of eternal being. Everything is built into the nature of God to exist and to be who he is, not only yesterday, not only today, but forever. And we ought to be thankful for that. Because the reality is our God doesn't change. Are you thankful for a God who doesn't change? What if he changed his mind about you? You ever changed your mind about somebody? Somebody say, I changed my mind about somebody. If you can't say it, you're telling a story. Because some of y'all jokers dated somebody that you broke up with and you said, I changed my mind. God saved me from that. Right? We've changed our mind. We are wishy-washy people. Aren't we? We're wishy-washy. I'm glad God's not wishy-washy. In fact, fact, Malachi 3.6 puts it this way. The Bible says, For I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, I change not. You see, he foresees and knows all things, and nothing catches our God by surprise. Aren't you glad of that? He knows what's going to happen today. I don't have to worry about today. I don't have to worry about what I consider to be tomorrow or the next day or the next day because I have an ever-present God. I have an omnipotent God. I have an omniscient God who is with me every step of the way. And that's good news. Oh, listen, James in chapter 1 and verse number 17, the Bible not only reminds us that our God is the giver of every good gift and every perfect gift, but it also reminds us that with our God, the Father of lights, that there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Yes, our Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. However, here's what we do. People and bad theology... People and bad theology. You know what we do? We try to change God all the time. 
We change them according to our desires. We change uh, what God is according to our agenda. But it was Patrick Morley in his book, The Seven Seasons of a Man's Life. Here's what he said. He said, there's a God we want, and there's a God who is, and they are not the same God. Have you ever experienced that in your life? There's a God I want today. I want the God that that I want. I want the nice God. I want the God who gives me what I want, when I want, and how I want. And, man, you ought to be thankful for God not giving you what you want all the time. Because we're messed up people. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we have a shepherd who is to lead and to guide us. And God says, I am that I am. He says, I'm defined by me and not anyone else. Therefore, you need to adjust to me not me to you. By the way, that's biblical. You'll find that in Romans chapter 8 and verse number 29. God predestined us. He predestined us to conform more to the image of his dear son. We are to be growing in our relationship, growing more like Jesus each and every day. So here I see God says, I am. He says, I'm the one who's always existed. I'm self-sufficient. Uh, I want to communicate with you in the, in the present. I want to communicate with you not only in the present, but on a very personal level. And then Jesus says in John chapter 8, 58, to the Jews, he says, before Abraham was, I am. Therefore, when we talk about Jesus, watch this, when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the same God who speaks in the Old Testament. Hold on, let me, I, I don't think you got it. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about the same God who spoke in the Old Testament. That's why it's important. I love Darren. Sometimes he wears that hat. Jesus loves you. But it's like, you know, you, we say God bless you or, or God loves you or whatever. No, Jesus loves you. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Listen, don't be afraid to proclaim the name of Jesus. Oh, there's power in the name. And he says before Abraham was, I am. He's the same God who spoke in the Old Testament. He's the eternal God who created everything. He humbled himself, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, was suffered, he died, he was buried, arose victoriously. And by the way, his name is I Am, the eternally present God, which is and was and is to come. I love the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus, speaking of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 3, he says that he is the brightness of of God's glory and the expressed image of his person. Now, having established that Jesus, when he said, I am, was declaring to these Jewish uh, religious folk that he was declaring to them that I am the same God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. I am he, I am that same God, and they wanted to kill him for it, You know what? He said some things so much more significant than just this. And I think we ought to take a look. So turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to go rapid fire. And I want you to see with me in John chapter 6. Go back a couple of pages. Shouldn't take you long. And when you get there, I want you to see some significant statements that are worthy of our attention. Not only today. But really, these would, you would do well to write these passages down to remind yourself day after day after day when you're facing something that you can go back to these passages and to be encouraged and to be strengthened in your faith. Look at John chapter 6 and verse number 35. And in verse number 35, Jesus said unto them, we're going to have some I am statements. He says, I am the bread of life. 
He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Here we find him referencing the time in the Old Testament when the children or the nation of Israel were out in the wilderness and bread called manna fell from heaven to feed and sustain the people. Now in Hebrew, the word manna is actually a question and it means whatness. Whatness, or in other words, what is it? Think about it. If I hadn't told you or somebody in your life hadn't told you or told me the first time you saw snow, unless you're Bill Cantwell and you know what snow is from the time you came out of your mother's womb, listen, and the first time you saw snow, you would have said, what is it? The children of Israel, when they see these breadcrumbs, so to speak, or these wafers falling out of heaven, they literally name it a question by saying manna they're saying what is it in the Hebrew they're literally saying the name of this that is falling down is a question and you say why would anybody name it what is it because they had to figure out what it was I know that was real high wasn't it and so what's the answer what's the answer this bread this, this bread that fell from heaven was the supernatural provision of God for his people. Watch this. It's the supernatural provision of God for his people. Notice in John chapter 6 and verse 38, Jesus further explains his statement, saying, For I came down from heaven. And in verse number 41, by this time the Jews are angry, they're murmuring. That's an ugly word, but that's what they were doing. They were murmuring about what Jesus had to say. And then in verse number 41, the it tells us the reason that they're angry, the reason that they're murmuring is because Jesus had said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. So when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he's stating that just as God sent bread down from heaven in the Old Testament to physically feed his children at that time, he had come down from heaven to feed and to fill us spiritually as the supernatural provision of God to meet our spiritual needs. Can you say, I'm thankful for the bread of life? Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Oh, listen, nothing and no one else can feed us. Like Jesus feeds us. He's the spiritual bread that we need for our soul. And by the way, look at verse 38 again. Where did Jesus come from? Where did he come from? He said, I came down from heaven. Hello? Another reference to his deity. To the fact that he is the great I am. Flip over uh, maybe the next page. Next page, John chapter 8. In John chapter 8, look at verse number 12. Jesus is speaking to them. He speaks unto them again saying, he says, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Not only does Jesus feed us and fill us spiritually, he says, guess what? Not only am I the bread of life that's going to feed you and sustain you spiritually, but I'm the light of the world that's going to illuminate you spiritually. I'm the light that you need. Because guess what? Without me, you continue to walk in darkness. Have you ever tried walking in darkness? I have. I told you last year, I think it was last year, it might have been a little longer, time flies when you're having fun. 
I told you I have this sick, sick twisted sense of humor. There's an intercessory door between our house and the garage. There's a couple of steps that come down by the Queen Mother's estate there at, at, at our home. And so that door has a light switch on the inside. Now, it, it would be silly not to turn on the light. And as I get older, I find that I'm really taking a big risk by doing this. But I also am very... Uh, <laughs> I'm very particular. I should have been an electrician, right? Uh, the switches have to go a certain way in my house. You say, man, you got problems. Just, I just trust Jesus, all right? And so if the switches are not the way I want, I'll flip those switches down because those switches down mean it's off. So I'll get into that little intercessory port there, and it's pitch dark. There's no light coming in. I mean, the doors are sealed. I mean, Tim and Tim did a great job. They sealed the door to the garage. They sealed the door to the house. And so when you get into this little bank of a few steps, I mean, I'm, I'm literally like walking in the dark. You picking up what's getting ready to come down? Because Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. You don't want to walk in dark? What did he say? Look at John chapter 8, verse 12 again. You don't want to walk in dark? Then there's a requirement. If you want to walk in the light, if you want to be able to see where you're going, watch, he says, he that followeth me. You see, we wander. As we've talked about from Psalm 23, we wander from the God we love. And so it's very important for us to follow our Lord. Listen, if you're looking for wisdom or direction or answers in regard to some situation, something that is going on in your life today, the only way to illumination is through God, through his word, and through his spirit. Hello? I was trying to give adults and parents some keys to success in their home because we live in a land of mediocrity today. Our homes are mediocre at best. And, and I said the way that we can have success, the way that we can sure up protection for our home is to understand our importance as parents, but also realize that the solutions for our home come from God's word. But the last thing I said is that we must be applying and obeying these solutions from God's word, but not, not applying them and, and, and teaching obedience to our children, but applying them and obeying them to our lives first. Kids are smart. If you're not following or applying the word of God to your life, don't expect your child to do it. They're checking you out, mom, dad. Hey, by the way, grandpa, grandma, auntie, or uncle, they're checking you out. So when you tell them that Jesus loves them and, and that they need to worship Jesus, listen, if we don't set the example, don't be, don't be surprised when they don't worship. If we're not in God's word, don't be surprised when your children are not in God's word. It's just a point of fact, and so we have to be careful. Listen, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. In fact, Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you and I are going to walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, uh, according to 1 John 1, 1, 7, then we must be in his word. Look here also, flip over one more page, John 10. i got to keep going. John 10, verse 7. Jesus said, I am the door of the sheep. Look down at verse number 9. He goes on. He says, I am the door. He says, by me, I'm going to give an inclusive. I'm an inclusive God. He said, by me, if any man, any person, any man, any woman, any boy, any girl, any child, if anyone come enter in, he shall be, what does he say? If you come through him, he says, you're going to be saved. And you'll go in and out and you'll find pastor. So, so you see in this very one verse, Jesus is talking about the doorway to salvation and freedom. 
And he's also talking about the doorway to satisfaction and rest. Not only will we go in and go out, but we're going to find pasture. Oh, he's going to lead us beside in the green pastures, right? As we talked about, and beside the still waters. Oh, listen, living the abundant life means realizing what God wants to do in our lives. But can I tell you this? There's only one door. There's only one door to live in the abundant life. You say, man, that's pretty closed-minded. No, that's just biblical. That's just biblical. There's only one door. There's not many doors, many gods, or many ways. There's only one, and his name is Jesus. By the way, he gives the inclusive offer, right? He says, I am the door by me. If any man enter in, there's the inclusivity. But then he talks about the exclusivity. He said he was the way, and we'll see that here in just a second, the truth and the life. John chapter 10, stay right there. Look at verse number 11. We've recently looked at this, so we won't spend much time, but John chapter 11, he continues. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse number 14, I'm the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. Again, as we talked about Psalm 23, one of the greatest blessings that you and I have as a believer is knowing that we are wholly or completely owned and cared for by the good shepherd. He leads us, he guides us, he protects us, he guards us, and on and on as we talked about. Oh, that's wonderful news. Look at John chapter 11, one more page. He's talking to Martha. He's going into Bethany here uh, after Lazarus' initial death. I say initial because he's not going to stay dead for long. Look, Jesus says to her in verse 25, chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. In other words, Jesus was saying, listen, I'm the resurrection of the dead. And I'm the, uh, I'm the life of the living. And listen, a relationship with me is what he was really saying. Is a relationship with me is what's going to make a difference in your life. You want to have a life that is abundant? You want to have a life uh, that you're able to find pasture, then it's, in, it's going to be found in me. Listen, I make the difference. What he's saying is, I make the difference not only in life, but I make the difference in death. Because when you know me, you'll never die. John chapter 14, I alluded to it. One more page over. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. In other words, he says, I'm the only road, I'm the only truth, and I'm the only life, literally, that leads you to the Father. If you want to know the Father, you got to know me. you got to come through me to know the Father. John chapter 15, we're rapid firing these things. He says in verse number 1, in verse number 5, verse number 1, he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the husbandman or the gardener. He's the one who plants. He's the one that tends it. He said, he's that. He said, I'm the true vine, though. In verse number 5, he says, I am the vine, ye are the branches, he that abideth me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much food, fruit, for without me you can do nothing. In other words, Jesus was saying, guess what? I'm the real deal. I took that out of my notes. My wife saw that in my notes and thought that was funny the other day. I took it out. I said, I probably won't say that, but I just said it to... Okay. Jesus said, I'm the source. I am the only source for your everything. That's what he's saying. He says, whatever you need, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. I am the God who spoke to Moses out of the bush. And I'm the God who brought the bread down from heaven. I'm the God. I'm the gate. I'm the door. I'm the, sh I'm the shepherd. He goes on and on talking about all the things he is. And he says, I'm the vine. And he says, if you're connected to me, 
Watch this. If you're connected to me, then you're going to be fruitful. You're going to be good fruit. Because I don't produce bad fruit. Uh-oh. You ever eat a bad banana? Somebody say, I, I don't like bad bananas. I don't like bad bananas. Bad fruit is not where we want to be. You see, if Jesus is inside of us, watch this. If he is inside of us, notice the big if hanging out there like a cloud. We're going to be producing fruit. It's going to be evident in our lives that he is a part of our lives, that he is leading us as the good shepherd. It's going to be evident that we are one of his sheep and that we hear his voice. And he knows us and we know him and we follow him. And we no longer walk in darkness if he is in. See, there's going to be fruit. Listen, if Jesus is in us, he will also be coming out through us. In the book of the Revelation, you don't need to turn there. In Revelation 22, 13, Jesus said these words. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. He's giving more proof here of his deity and his divine glory. He says, not only do I exist, he said, but I have always existed. I will always exist from everlasting to everlasting. Oh, that's good news this morning. I want you to look at one final passage right here, one page. You might have to flip. I have to flip because it's at the top of the next page. Look at John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, I want you to take note. This is where Judas... Jesus has spent time with his disciples and Judas is leading a band of men and officers to come after Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And look here in verse number four. At the end of verse number four, Jesus asks them, he says, whom seek ye? In other words, who are you guys looking for? Do you think he already knew who they were looking for? Yeah, he knew they were coming after him. But he says, whom seek ye? And then notice what transpires in verse number 5 and 6. God's word tells us that they answer him. He says, who are you looking for? And they answer him and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am he. You found the right one. Watch. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. Verse 6. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. In the moment of his betrayal, even those men, even those officers that came to arrest Jesus Christ were arrested themselves by his majesty, by his glory, and by his power as the great I am. Can you imagine it? Here they come. We're going we're gonna to arrest you. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Boom. They fell back and fell down. Can I tell you something? There's power in the name of Jesus. You got something going on in your life? There's power in the name of Jesus. Quit trusting all these self-help books and all these self-help tele, uh, television shows and everything and, and let's get back to trusting Jesus. He said all of these things. He said, before Abraham was, I am. You can trust me. I'm the, I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. 
I'm the door or the gateway of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. He goes on, I'm the vine. I'm the true vine. He says, listen, to those guys that come to arrest him, he says, yeah, you found me. That's who I am. Psalm 9 and verse number 10. In the beginning in this verse, the Bible says, and they that know thy name. Watch what it says. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. You know, it's been said that the best time to experience the so-called I amness of Jesus is when things aren't making any sense. Anybody there? Does 2023 make sense to you? Have the past three years made sense to somebody? Like, oh yeah, I know it all. We got to be careful about being know-it-alls. It doesn't make sense. The best time to experience the reality that Jesus is the great I am is when things don't make sense. When things are difficult, life starts throwing you curveballs left and right. And all you seem to do, all we seem to do is ask, why? God, why? Why am I sick? Why can't I not have the health that I want? God, why are you doing this to my family? I had a good job. Why, why, why is my job all up in the air? God, what's going on in my life? Why is this happening with my children? Why are they so disobedient? Why are they this? Why are they that? Remember, we have to take responsibility for our actions, mom and dad. What we do is ask, what's going on? It's the best time. It's the best time to remind ourselves that Jesus is. The great I am. So if you're a believer here, you can be encouraged. You can be encouraged and take comfort in knowing that Jesus is Lord. He is very God of very God. He's not confused. He's not dumbfounded by anything that you are facing. In fact, Colossians, in the book of Colossians, chapter 2 and verse number 9, the Bible teaches us, speaking of Jesus, that in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. But then in verse number 10, if you're a believer... It tells us that you and I are complete in him. You are complete in Jesus, which means you don't need anything else. All you need is Jesus. Amen? Say, all I need is Jesus. Somebody act like you're here today. We need him. As I said Wednesday night, for those who are at Bible study, we need him not every day, not even every hour. We need him every second and every minute of every day. If you're here, you're watching, and you've yet to turn, you've yet to repent or turn from doing things your way, can I tell you there's a way that seems right under man, but the ways thereof are the ways of death. If you've, if you've yet to turn from doing things your way, you've yet to trust in the risen Savior of the world, I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you so much that he willingly laid down his life for you. That's pretty big. He loved you that much. As God came down and presented himself to Moses in the burning bush, promising, watch this, promising salvation and deliverance for the children of Israel then, Jesus came down from heaven, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, placed himself on that old rugged cross, died a death that he didn't deserve because he loved you. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He didn't own his own tomb. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. 
And the Bible tells us that three days later, he arose victoriously, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And listen, because he has conquered death, hell, and the grave, those who know him shall be just like him. We too will conquer death, hell, and the grave, not because we're great, but because he is great and because he is the I am. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 2, concludes by saying, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Jesus said, he said, before Abraham was, you're not 50 years old. What do you know about Abraham? He said, you guys don't get it. Before Abraham was, I am. Listen, he's already done the heavy lifting. He, he's done the heavy lifting. If you don't know him as your Savior, he lifted the sin, the weight of the world, and he's carried it away so that you or I don't have to deal with it anymore. And salvation is available to you. If only you'll trust him. I referenced that song last week. Only trust him, only trust him, only trust him now. You know it? He will save you, he will save you, he will save you now. If you don't know him, that promise is for you. All you need to do is turn with the heart, believe, and with the mouth confess. Call out upon the name of the Lord for the forgiveness of sin. Oh, he's done all the heavy lifting, his word and his spirit have done all the work that's required, are exercised as a step of faith. Will you trust him today? If you don't know him, will you trust him? And if you do know him, will you celebrate that he is the great I am? Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I pray that we have been encouraged. God, I pray that we have also been challenged of how we might look at you through a different lens, realizing that you, Lord, are the same God who spoke to Moses out of the burning bush. And you are the bread of life and the light of the world. And God, we're so thankful that you are the resurrection and the life. Father, I pray for the one who has strayed from thee. I pray that you will draw them back unto yourself, that you will remind them of what they are missing in you. And Lord, that they'll begin to follow you and walk with you again, as you desire. Lord, I pray that you will have your will of during this time of invitation. And Lord, if there's somebody that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they will call out upon your name because there's power in your name and that they will put their faith, trust, and confidence in you. And we'll be, we'll be careful to give you the praise for what you do. As we begin to sing a song of invitation, all of God's people said, Amen.